politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing ready to guard and fight for our life, liberty, property to fight the biomedical state. This is the month of freedom, February 4th, Friday. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here at Blaze Media. And we got a lot to really delve into, both from hopefully a special guest we're going to have on if we can get him in between his ICU runs. And just from our stack of news, uh, I apologize ahead of time. I might be hoarse today because I've been up half the night talking on the phone. Uh, we're working on this DMED project. Uh, what, what the Department of Defense is doing in response to the expose from the military flight surgeons, the whistleblowers that were with Attorney Thomas Renz, to show the insane increase in cardio blood disorders, neurological disorders, cancers, reproductive, um, all sorts of problems. They What they are doing to now backfill that data from five years ago is worse than even the data itself. That in itself has become, in my view, <laughs> the bigger story that they are willing to destroy everything to protect the sacred holy of holies. And <clears throat> to understand the devastation of the censorship, the control, the violation of the Nuremberg Code, the foisting upon us this virus and then blocking the treatment and then pushing something that is only harmful and in the long run, can't just look at a snapshot of time, but in the long run actually made it worse. There's two stories from Israel out yesterday, the last couple days, that juxtaposed to one another really demonstrate in my mind exemplify the profundity of what's been done to all of us and just how broken the global medical elites, the global politicians are. So I want to get to those two stories today. And again, I hope to have our special guest on, a pediatric cardiologist, uh, momentarily, if we can get him out of the ICU as he works in hospitals today. Uh, very apropos, our first sponsor today is ZStack. Uh, our next story is about vitamin D. So vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, and vitamin C, those four, uh, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko formulated into one pill, so it's cost-effective, user-friendly, uh, GMO-certified, made here in America, zstacklife.com slash Daniel. And then if you put in promo code Daniel, you get 5% off. Uh, this is, you know, again, it's don't wait till you get COVID or something else. This is something you should take every day. Um, ideally you should monitor your vitamin D levels, you know, every year or so take, take stock of it. Certainly in the winter, almost nobody's getting proper vitamin D above the 35th parallel. So this is really probably the single biggest thing you can do. Those four are what Dr. Zelenko believes, uh, would help you help boost your immune system. And, you know, he would know cause he's certainly been at the front line. So that's zstacklife.com slash Daniel promo code Daniel. <laughs> So, a lot of you might have seen the study published in PLOS One yesterday from Israeli uh, <clears throat> researchers. And by the way, Israel has really had really good research. Um, it's just that their government never follows it. And they came out with the fact that is a very well-done study. Again, this is published in PLOS One. 
patients with vitamin D deficiency that's defined as below 20 NGs per milliliter of blood, their serum levels below 20, were 14 times, 14 times more likely to have severe or critical disease than patients with 25 OHD level above 40. And certainly we've seen from other studies that it's better to be above 50 and 95% confidence interval, p-value is 0.001. So you could read that study. We have over 100 sufficiency studies, correlation studies, treatment, prophylaxis, different stages. We have more data on this than you could ever imagine, and it was available early on, and the mechanism of action makes a lot of sense. We've known this all along. And to this day, they refuse to point this out. Why is this story so important now? Well, it was always important. It was always criminal that they were hiding this from people. Knowing that so many people have their levels below 30 and even below 20 and 10. Particularly people that have darker skin, people in certain areas. It's the easiest thing to do. No risk. You have so many studies out in prominent journals, heart, cancer, you name it. Okay, bone health. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Worst comes to worst, it will help for one of many other things. All, literally the ultimate all gain and no pain. No risk and only potential return. Therapeutic. Okay, I mean, that that's like you can't get better than that. And they refuse to talk about it. What this demonstrates is that more important than a stupid PCR test is a vitamin D test. What is your level? That should have been the craze. What is your level? How to get it up quickly. And as we talked about, um, calcifediol, the active form D, particularly for people that are immunocompromised and seem to have a problem getting their D levels up, the active form D. There is a product, D.Velop. Again, they're not a sponsor of the show, but check it out, Develop. Um, Active Form D. Um, I do have some myself. It's an Australian company, but they have distributors in the U.S. Um, so for some reason, the pharmacies here can't distribute it, but they can. I don't know what the legal arrangement is, but as of now, it is available even on Amazon. You know, I'm loath to talk about this stuff because anything we talk about, they'll go after. 14 times more likely. 14 times. Something this beneficial, this safe, this easy. Nearly two years into this. Well, yeah, two years into this. And it was known from day one. There's nothing new we discovered. It's just we just get more data to show. But we, we know this. Okay? What are your D levels? Now, again, to be clear, to be clear, I just this is my own addition um, this, like every other study, I think it lasted through February 2021, so it was before Delta. I do believe Delta is a bigger beast, and the scale shifts even further, you know, which is why all really you want to get it over 50, 60. Um, and then even then, you know, it's not the only thing. You want to do several things because of Delta and anything else possibly that they're bringing up against us. But... 
there is there is nothing that has more data behind it than vitamin D. All sorts of studies. And again, I don't want to hear, well, that's correlation, or that's uh, this type of thing, and that's that type of thing. But you put it all together, it's the preponderance of evidence. Stop being a fool. I'm sick of it. See, you know, this is just one thing with a hierarchy of studies. Well, okay, double-blinded placebo, randomized controlled trials, the best, and okay, retrospective uh, meta-analysis, and then there's in vitro, and and you're right. You know, you know. Let's say you only have in vitro. Well, if that's all you have, yeah, that's kind of whatever. But each one plays a role in putting in the pieces of the puzzle. So when you have randomized control trials and you have meta-analysis and you have in vitro and you have things examining the mechanisms of action, they all jive harmoniously together. Yet yeah, that's an even stronger picture than just you know you know one or two large RCTs. So. That's that story. Now let me give you the other story. And this is not any one day, but this has been taking place the last few weeks. Israel now has the highest case rate per capita in the world. Okay? Almost any everyone is triple vaxxed. And certainly anyone you know in the age bracket, I don't say anyone, but I'm saying you know, overwhelmingly over 95% in any age group that's going to be uh, prone in large numbers to to get hospitalized, and a good amount of the most vulnerable already have a fourth shot. Okay, so this is the place. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. This is your trial. Okay, because now human beings are lab rats, and Israel is the lab rat. Philip Dormitzer, a couple of months ago, he's the chief scientific officer of Pfizer. He des- described Israel as a sort of a laboratory to see the effect of his company's vaccine. Um, he said Israel immunized a very high proportion of the population very early, so it's been a way that we can almost look ahead. What we see happening in Israel happens again in the U.S. a couple months later, and we saw this over and over again with the waning of the second shot, and now Israel has waning of the third shot, not just for cases, because that's been going on since the beginning, but now even for critical illness. Israel now has more deaths and more ICU admission uh, per capita than they've ever had. I want you to understand the gravity of that. Bef- they have a higher ICU rate and death rate than they had pre-vax when a single person was vaccinated, and this is Omicron. So it, it makes no sense. Even if you could say you know, some people could potentially get critically ill, but everyone agrees it's much, much less than the previous variants. Okay, fundamentally, it's an upper respiratory infection. How does that jive? Moreover, moreover, we know that this broadly is happening in the Western vaccinated countries, whereas in South Africa, the origin of it, and other places, they breezed by it. As Steve Day says, that was the ultimate control group. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Vaccination rate is just 27% in South Africa. I don't have the booster rate, but I would imagine it's infinitesimal if, if you know, registering at all. Now, again, to be clear, Israel overall still, you know, throughout the pandemic is much better off than America. Very young median age. I don't think they have any obesity problem at all. Um, it's a very healthy country. So like Japan, like, you know, Iceland, like these other countries, they're Broadly, not going to have as many deaths, but apples to apples, I'm not comparing Israel to America. I'm par- comparing Israel 
Omicron post triple quadruple vaxxed to the stronger variant in Israel pre vax. It's checkmate, folks. There's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide from that observation. It's not working. Okay, this is a quote from Professor Yaakov Jeris. He is the director of Iklov Hospital. Well, Iklov's Hospital's coronavirus ward in Tel Aviv. So I don't know how it ranks, but it's definitely up there in the top Israeli hospitals in Tel Aviv. And he is the head of the COVID unit. He said, quote, this is a direct quote, most of our severe cases are vaccinated. He told Channel 13 News they had at least three injections between 70 and 80% of the serious cases are vaccinated, so the vaccine has no significance regarding severe illness, which is why just 20 to 25% of our patients are unvaccinated. This, this is straight up there. So we already know this with the double-vaxxed. We're already seeing that straight up. That's been that way for a while, which is why they don't talk about it anymore and basically treat them like unvaxxed. But the same reason why the double eventually waned and went negative, we always knew it was going to happen with the triple. So why are you not bothered by that negative efficacy? Again, it's kind of like, you know, someone that wants to gain energy and rather than kind of eating healthy and exercising, he just binges coffee, binges soda. Yeah, you'll, you'll be able to focus a little bit more. I, I used to do that myself you know, to, to focus on so much information and read and write and all the things I do. But so you look at that snapshot, you have a sugar high, just like the sugar high of antibodies, cheap, inefficient antibodies. It'll give you, it'll give you some juice. It comes at a huge cost epidemiologically and for the individual in the long run. How is that not ADE? How is that not some form of original antigenic sin? So they're admitting, again, South Africa never had this problem. And in Israel, they're the worst off for Omicron. Why? Why is that not even something to look into? Well, part of the problem, folks, is we don't have good political activism. One of the few conservative organizations I actually stand behind is Patriot Academy. They have the Constitution Coach Program. What this means is, you go to patriotacademy.com, and you could sign up to be a constitution coach. You could host in your living room their course. You could download their materials from Rick Green, historian David Barton, and others to give over the constitution, what it really meant, what each clause means, teach everyone about it, the rights that we don't have anymore that we should have. And it's a great way to just commiserate with people, get together, organize strike force teams, and not just study the constitution, but have that inculcate your heart. So then now you want to act upon it. Um, and that's a good way of just finding out who in your area is, is on board. Uh, they have almost 100,000 people signed up in 2021 alone. It's totally free. Again, go to patriotacademy.com. Sign up today to help restore our republic. Okay. So I just want to finish up on this Israel thing. So the juxtaposition here, they're admitting it doesn't work. It's like in, in, in the book of Judges with Elijah on Mount Carmel. And they prayed to Baal. Baal, answer us, oh Baal. They cut their eyes. They, they gashed their faces. And their idolatry just wasn't working. And they wouldn't turn to God. Their idolatry is going negative before their eyes. Israel, if, if Sweden was the great control group 
on the great experiment, the worst experiment of all time on the economy and civilization, lockdowns. Israel is the study group on the worst experimentation on the human body of all mankind. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. That's the problem. We are seeing it in Israel now. The triple vax, they're going negative even quicker than the double did. And we're just getting warmed up. What is that going to do to your ability to respond properly to respiratory viruses in the future? Perhaps that is why Omicron seems to be more problematic in Israel. Naturally, it wouldn't be. But again, I mean, to varying levels, we're seeing that even in the U.S. and Western Europe, it's a lot worse than it is in the unvaccinated countries. There's almost a perfect correlation. There was, there was a weaker correlation with worse outcomes with Delta. This is just straight up. But think about that. Israel's own data now shows their great experiment failed. And the same time, they have studies showing a 14 times greater likelihood of having severe outcomes with COVID with your D levels under 20 as opposed to over 40. So easy to rectify. Doesn't come with any of the multitude of known and unknown risks of the shots, both in terms of creating negative efficacy, ADE, and in terms of, gosh, all the, all the issues we now know. It truly, truly is so scary, so unbelievable, so profound. What could have been? What could have been if nothing else they told people to take 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, not to mention a Z-stack that has, you know, quercetin C and zinc in it before you get to anything fancy. And again, I'm not going to tell you that it was going to save every last person, and you do have the people the most vulnerable. It is the hardest to get up their D, but that's where active form D should have come in. We have studies on that, uh, a pair of studies out of Spain, a couple other places, that anyone who presented to the hospital um, with uh, shortness of breath, they gave them... Um, active form D, file, and they did not progress to the ICU as a you know as compared to the control group. And nothing. They're willing to try molnipiravir and remdesivir, not just try, indulge it eight billion dollars worth. Several million people are probably given it. Cause terrible problems, animal studies, human studies. Pulled from an, e an Ebola trial, 53% death rate, no problem. But vitamin D, they refuse to get behind, and they never will. Notice in Israel and elsewhere, they're going to drop the mandates. They're going to drop it and run away from it. But they'll never endorse it. Oh, COVID's over. Here's the irony. I'm, not, I'm a bigger COVID hawk than, than they are. They want, you, you could tell within a few weeks, they'll be done with COVID. And I won't be done even just with the virus because, you know, it still is circulating and people need to be forewarned and they need to get treatment. They need to benefit from the wealth of research that we've accumulated. No, they're not going to help those people because these people were never fearful of COVID. I'm more fearful of it than they are. It was all about greed control and the Great Reset. When you juxtapose the, the risk-benefit of what the shots ultimately caused in Israel. The worst 
wave that Israel has had is occurring with the most shots per capita of anywhere in the world. And it's occurring with the mildest variant. When their own research now has a very good study really doing and and you could you could read it they tried to really you know drill down to make sure it was you know wasn't just correlation and you know comorbidities like you know cuz cuz naturally if you have if you're obese if you have certain conditions a lot of diabetics you're going to naturally have problems getting your d levels up so is it is it the d levels doing it or is it the you know the conditions so they go through all of that and they control for that, you know, because they they understood that that dozens upon dozens of, of studies came before them, and they really wanted to do a really good one to improve and expand upon the existing research. Complete blackout, complete blackout. Again, my doctor, we now found in our medical records, about a decade ago. It's probably the only time I had a D test in my life, but I didn't even know about it at the time that that was one of the markers. My level was 18. You know, in general, I'm indoors all day, my computer, my microphone. During a weekday, I'm never outside. I'm literally never outside. And, you know, that level likely persisted through the beginning of the pandemic until I met Dr. Ryan Cole. Now my level is mine and my wife. I know she was also around the same level at the time. We're both in the 70s. And again, even if if a fraction of the research is correct on COVID and many, many other maladies, many other ailments, even in the most conservative look, the most skeptical look at all the studies ever produced on vitamin D, that's a wealth of benefit for no risk. It, it, it is indefensible, those two points, juxtaposed to one another. You cannot get around that. You cannot explain that away. And it is criminal that the doctors in this profession refuse to wake up to this, refuse to learn the mistakes. If you've noticed from me and from the doctors and scientists we've had on the show, they've constantly updated as more came in. They were never stuck on stupid. They constantly, they, they would get on, I could tell you, they'd get on conference calls together. And unlike the other side, where it's literally one sewer and they all sing the same tune with the same words at the same time, these guys are, by definition, independent thinkers. So amongst themselves, there's a lot of disagreement on, on various finer points. You know, they, they broadly agree on, on early treatment, but some things, like, ah, I don't think that's a big deal. Others are into it, you know. But all of them, they would update it, get on a conference call. Okay, what are the latest trends? What are you seeing? What are the symptoms? What's the timeline? Are things changing? What's kind of working for you? What's not? You know, and that's that's what their thing is. <clears throat> you know, I'll just give give one example. You know, one doctor was like, yeah, you know, we were more into doxy as the antibiotic early on. You know, now we think ZPAC is more is more effective. Doxy, we're not really seeing it. You know, and, and that's what it is. It was all about helping people, all about saving lives. With these people, it was all about maximizing the pain for absolutely zero gain. 
Now, after all this, I haven't even gotten to the main course, but in many respects, this kind of sets the table properly because we're juxtaposing what could have been to what was. We talk about, for example, a vitamin D sufficiency study out of Israel, 14 times less likely with proper sufficiency to have critical outcomes, serious outcomes from COVID juxtaposed to what did happen endless shots. Israel was the laboratory, the most injected country in the world, and they now have their worst wave ever, even with Omicron. But folks, that's not even part of it. That's not even the big part of it. As you all know, when you take a vitamin D pill, you don't have to worry about it destroying your immune system, destroying your cardiovascular system. Um, ditto with hydroxy, ditto with ivermectin, ditto with anything that the Patriot doctors are using. None of them have a black box warning. None of them have an issue, unlike the stuff that's being used by the other side of this debate. But when you look at the shots, despite, imagine knowing what we know now from Israel. Again, what's that quote from the Israeli, um, you know, that head of the COVID ward? In Tel Aviv, in that Tel Aviv hospital, what did he say? He said the vaccine has no significance regarding severe illness now. That's where it's gotten to in his COVID ward. So knowing that, we would then push it on babies and toddlers at this juncture when it's expired, right? It's the, the, that virus that it was made for doesn't exist. No data to show there's any benefit for a virus that largely is just, it's less than RSV for them. And there are so many safety signals, so much smoke that you know, at a minimum, there's fire. We just don't know how much. And that certainly overrides any cost-benefit analysis. How much fire do we have? We've talked about a lot of different things. We did a show this week on neurodegenerative uh, disorders and concerns that this might mess with your nervous system. Today, I want to get into the 800-pound gorilla in the room, myocarditis, heart inflammation, circulatory issues, certainly something that we've seen that the pathogen um, you know, definitely causes clotting, the spike protein causes that. What's the difference between the shots and the pathogen? Who's at risk? How prevalent is this really? Um, what are we seeing on the ground? There's no better man to do this than a new doctor we have on board that I thank God that I met, Dr. Kirk Milhone. He's a pediatric cardiologist practicing inpatient in a hospital in Texas. He's, in addition to that, he's a pastor and a soldier as well, retired military. Um, he was lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He served for 13 years. He was a flight surgeon. Also, he and his wife founded a Christian medical mission organization primarily oriented towards serving children around the world who do not have access to adequate pediatric cardiac care. Someone who really is looking to save lives, the opposite of what we are seeing in the medical establishment. Dr. Milone, thanks so much for joining us on short notice. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Boy, I could go on and on because your experience really touches on every last thing that I'm researching now, the military data, um, the spiritual aspect of this, and we could go on, but I'm going I'm to start with the, with the big thing everyone's going to want to know. <clears throat> you know. By now, everyone knows that there is some sort of safety concern uh, that even the government admits uh, behind myocarditis. Um, 
I, I, I've seen a statement uh, uh, from, from you. I've seen a video where you talk about MRI scans of elite vaccinated athletes seem to show like half of them have myocarditis. What is going on? How deep does this run based on what you're seeing? Yeah, well, it's a, a couple of different things here is that, you know, the, tenet, the main tenet of medicine um, is do no harm. So if we're going to, anything I do as a clinician, I want to make sure that I'm actually doing, I'm helping the patient and not hurting the patient. So when we look at the, um, uh, at COVID infections, um, the, the spike protein part of the, the virus, um, your body very much dislikes it. It causes enormous amounts of clotting. It can um, directly in, um, infect the myocardium and the, the vascular endothelium, the, the cells within the vessels. Um, so it, we know in and of itself it can cause certain things. If we're going to use a vaccine to stop that, we don't want the vaccine to do the same things. And that's what we're seeing with this, um, the, uh, the RNA vaccine for, um, and DNA vaccine that, we're, that has been used um, uh, use, utilizing the spike protein. Um, and so w- what our concern was is that as, as we started looking at um, people, it initially started out, it was a one in 50 chance, one in 50,000 chance of someone who had gotten the vaccine uh, that they would get myocarditis. But then as we started, as more and more people got it, uh, they started, uh, we started looking at people a little bit more closely. There was the study out of the, that looked at big 12 elite athletes, and they didn't tell us whether they were vaccinated or not. They just looked at how many people that were, that um, had had uh, COVID, um, had um, myocardial damage, and a lot of those people had damage uh, that was asymptomatic. They had no symptoms, but on MRI they showed it. Um, and so our biggest concern is is that the, the for pediatricians, what has been very fortunate for us that unlike flu, um, COVID infections really doesn't affect really does not affect the children. I mean, there are c- occasional outliers, but this is a 99.996. Um, um, percentage of survival um, from this. That's much different than a really bad flu season that really truly affects kids. Um, So if we're going to, and when this first came out, I realized, wow, this has such a little effect on kids. We'll never need to vaccinate them um, because you'd never be able to show that the vaccine was beneficial. Um, And so what we have found is, is that as everybody knows, um, especially with Omicron, the data out of Israel, um, this vaccine is very, very leaky. And so it's really not stopping Omicron at all. It wasn't made for Omicron. It was made for legacy. It really didn't even do very well against Delta. Uh, and so now people have been pushing to give this to kids or for kids to be able to go to school. Um, and as we watched kids getting more and more of this, especially after the second dose, Moderna more than Pfizer, but after the second dose, especially males, um, we started to see a real signal for myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. Um, and as we looked at it closer and closer, it becomes the signal is getting greater. It's not getting less. As we're watching more and we're looking closer at things, what we're seeing is the signal is increasing for myocarditis. It's not one in 50,000. It's probably one in 2,500 to one in 3,000 now. And this is really with no benefit from the vaccine for kids, especially for healthy, <laughs> healthy males, especially. And so they're getting all risk with no benefit. So when you when you look at teenage boys, kind of that demographic that the studies have honed in on as the most vulnerable, they'll say, well, you know, doctor, 
it still is rare. It's not like it's something that, you know, is that common. It's 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 really rare. We're not seeing it much. And then even when we do, it's really very mild and, you know, it's not not a big deal. Certainly nothing nothing of concern. It's not really going to kill people. What do you say to that? Well, I'd say we take off the last major vaccine for children that we had to take off the market was Rotashield. It was actually, it was FDA approved. It wasn't under emergency use authorization. It was FDA approved. And it meant signal for interception, which is a telescoping of the gut inside of itself. At one in around 4,300, we're at one in 3,000. So our signal has already been met. And since this is not a disease that really affects children, in terms of the statistics, it's a very, very low level of, of death in children. Um, so then why would you accept any risk if our tenet of medicine is to do no harm? The second thing is, is I want to address the issue of mild myocarditis versus what's happening. So as a cardiologist, I'll explain myocarditis or inflammation of the heart, obviously how it's affecting the heart. And so there are times when I see it severely affecting the heart where the heart doesn't really beat at all. It just twists. And then I'll see it where it moderately affects the heart or it can mildly affect the heart. But all of those children might end up in the ICU. So I might call something a mild myocarditis in terms of my realm. But to a parent who has a child who's now spending time in the pediatric ICU, that's not a mild occurrence. A mild occurrence is don't worry about it, go home. If your child is now admitted to the pediatric ICU, that's a whole different thing. The other issue is, is, is this is acting like a vasculitis. And the other vasculitis that we see in children that we're very concerned about is Kawasaki's disease. And even if those children escape long-term hospitalization and do well, if we look at them long-term, their heart is still affected. Their endothelial cells, the vessels lining the vessel, the, the cells lining the vessels, are still showing some abnormalities even years past. So we don't know the long-term. This this vaccine. Um, um, utilizing an mRNA DNA for vaccines. We have not studied this for a long period of time. We haven't studied this illness for a long period of time. So we can't say whether this myocarditis, even if it resolves, if there isn't long-term damage. We're not doing MRIs on a lot of these kids, so we don't wow. know. So to me, it looks like we have an enormous amount of risk with very little benefit. That was my concern. I was going to ask you about that because in, in my you know, basic layman brain, I look at this and say, wait a minute, you're taking a young, unvarnished heart and you're saying there is some inflammation. Okay, I mean, immediately you might not have that much of a problem. They might not all wind up in the ICU. Some of them do. But my concern is when you have this much fire short term and this much smoke and it was never studied long term, like the first time ever something was introduced in mass that way. To me, it's almost inconceivable how the more we go on, we see, ah, well, we keep dropping the number. Okay, maybe it's one in 2,000, one in 2,500. But how many do we think, I mean, in 10, 15, 20 years from now, you could have a latent, you know, kind of, like you said, asymptomatic for now. Who's to say it's not going to blow up later? And could you, when you answer that question, could you tie in? Is this what the athletes have have to do with? In other words, is that what we're seeing with the athletes that because of their physical exertion that perhaps it's activating that latent inflammation quicker than an average person? Yeah. So first thing I'd like to say is, is remember Pfizer, the Pfizer admitted they did not power their study in children 
large enough to be able to say whether their vaccine caused myocarditis or not. So they knew it was out there and, and they were asked, so did you study enough kids? And they go, no, we didn't. We didn't study enough kids to power our study to see if myocarditis was an issue. Well, now we know it is an issue. That is why many of the Scandinavian countries have said anyone under 30 is not getting um, uh, Moderna. Anyone under basically in Sweden under 11, you're not going to get vaccinated at all. We see the risks greater than the benefits. Um, and so to your so for one, they didn't study it. They haven't looked at it. They ignored it, even though they knew it was an issue. Um, but the other issue is, is I, you know, we don't know. Um, but there's a real concern what we're seeing in international athletes right now and elite athletes. Um, and the fact that so many Big 12 athletes had significant scar in their heart, but they didn't know it, that could be like a ticking time bomb. That's a place where you could have an abnormal heart rhythm um, occur. Um, and so and these elite athletes and why uh, and, and these high school athletes, they push themselves, especially once a child has passed puberty, they'll push themselves past the point of pain. Um, so what do I say to people right now? If you have a if you've had myocarditis, the American Heart Association says you take at least six months off of activity. Are we telling that for everyone who who had myocarditis or, or, or are we going to say that to everyone? Um, this is a this is a big concern, and the, the most the, the more the most important thing to say is, is that we don't know what the long term damage is, but it could be there. Um, we'll have to see what the numbers are. Um, but so so is it a you, valid hypothesis, or enough to at least be concerned that yeah. that athletes might be the canaries in the coal mine? That if they yeah. would get it in larger numbers within you know, the first few months, what's to say of your average person over the next 5, 10, 20 years? No, it's a fine hypothesis, and we'll just test it with time. Uh, you know, I, I, I think as we, as we consider this, this whole, the whole aspect of this discussion um, is, is why, are we, why would we mandate this? Now, let's say everyone has a different – safety is different to everyone. Like – Someone might, if you say one in a hundred to somebody, they might go, oh, okay. You might say one in a thousand to somebody. That's safe for them. Someone else might say one in 10,000, one in 100,000, one in a million. That's safe to them. Everyone has a, so to say something sure. is safe and effective, um, that really is a person to person You're right? So like a family could say for my child, um, I'm not going with one in 2,000 or one in 3,000. I would like something safer before I'll give it to my child, especially when I look at the data on how whether yeah. my healthy child will have problems with COVID. Right. So how to, to me, the bigger question is, is it's not only that we have this vaccine out there that has signal. It's that now it's being mandated even for children yeah. to go to elementary school. And again, the signal is short term. It's the minimum we know. We find whatever we minimum. know, it's always seems to get worse and worse. We have no long term. And yeah. that's why I wanted to get into a little bit with you the mechanism of action. If you could explain a little bit that, you know, to me, if it's like, yeah, you know, anaphylactic shock, there's like allergic reaction, you're always going to have a certain percentage. But the problem is, this is, doctor, is this indeed not coming out of nowhere? This is not a random thing. Isn't that part of the way the spike protein works? And doesn't have, doesn't it have bearings, not just on myocarditis, but much broader in the cardiovascular system? 
Yeah, um, the, sort of to give people a reference to sort of look at this, um, we're not concerned about myocarditis in the flu shot. It's, it's not a concern. If we were to look at all the vaccines and look at all the vaccines that are given and look at how much more myocarditis is a concern for a COVID vaccine rather than all the other vaccines combined, it is 300 times more. It has a 300 times multiplier. Um, so this is a true signal that's coming from this vaccine. Um, how does it how does it act? Well, remember it acts like COVID does. So COVID has this spike protein that that, and I believe there it it acts on many things at the same time. It works. It acts on the CD one forty seven receptor ligand. It acts on the ACE two receptor. These are all you know complex biochemical pathways and second messenger pathways. Uh, within um, the the physiology of your body. Um, but the main thing it does, I think, predominantly is it starts, it activates platelets. And that's why you, you hear people talking about the, and you see the postmortem specimens of all these clumping of, of red blood cells because it forms clots. So once the act, when the body activates platelets, it's trying to form a clot and then red cells will get clot, get caught up in this clot. And so then that can obstruct blood flow. And so what we're seeing in both COVID infections and with the vaccine, especially the Janssen and Janssen, uh, Johnson and Johnson, remember that they just recently said that women who were in the basically childbearing years, you have increased risk for blood clotting from the Johnson, J&J vaccine. Remember that thing that came out that was a new warning? So I think predominantly the spike protein, whether you get it from the mRNA DNA vaccine or you get it from the COVID vaccine or COVID infection, um, that's starts a cascade of, of, of um, thrombosis or clotting of the blood. That leads to inflammation. And this can be local inflammation or it can be full body inflammation. Um, and that will affect, this is what my PhD research was on, as I was trying to figure out what caused the scar in heart muscle following if the blood was cut off. And so I tried to do all the different mechanisms, and I found that if the if the body doesn't get enough oxygen from like a little clot um, in those cells, then they re, then they activate platelets, and the platelets when they're activated, they activate the endothelial cells, and now become sticky for white blood cells. Then that can cause and bring in more cells that will basically eat up your normal cells, and that's how you form a scar in the in the heart muscle. Um, so there are many different mechanisms that are at play here, but I think if you look at the side effects from the vaccine and what we see the side effects from COVID infection is clotting is a big concern and inflammation follows that. And that we see that in tissues, whether it's in the gut, whether it can be in the brain, whether it could be in the ovaries, whether it's in the heart, wherever there are ACE2 receptors, we see this. So whether it's the the, the spike protein generated by the vaccine, it will activate the ACE2 receptors or it's the natural COVID infection. So we've never, you know, in, in all the vaccines that I've given children and received myself as a military member, I've got my second dose of smallpox. I've had the whole series of anthrax. I've had every other basically vaccine known to man is that you didn't use a pathogen. And that's the concern is that mm. the spike protein in and of itself is a pathogen so we're asking with an RNA or a DNA technology, we are asking the body to make something that it doesn't like. Yes, and, and, and we're going to have it come out from Dr. Bruce Patterson and Ramyogendra, their organization where they, they treat uh, long COVID 
and vaccine yeah. injury that kind of mirror each other in some ways, they, they are look, going to come out with similar. a they, study showing mutated spike protein, um, mutated S1 and then S2 in the CD16 monocytes that are stuck there. And, you know, that that's not good. That means it didn't stay in the shoulder muscle, as we've kind of seen in, in the studies that came out pretty early on. And, and like, you know, because they'll often say, well, the virus is terrible. Oh, my God, it's going to go. It, it does the same thing, Daniel. So isn't it the same thing? But what I tell them is two, two things. Number one, you're not going to avoid that. That ship sailed when they did their gain of function research and dumped it on us. Uh, number two, your your thing doesn't stop infection. And number three, the answer to a pathogen is not injecting with the pathogen, injecting with inflammation, yeah. inject, injecting with coagulation. It's treating it on the spot with anticoagulants, with anti-inflammatories, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the thing to know about the, the, the natural infection goes to where there are ACE2 receptors. Um, with the vaccine, these are lipid nanoparticles, and they go everywhere. So they will be taken into cells who would otherwise not have the spike protein in them. So that's mm. why there's a little bit more concern with the with the vaccine product is because one, we don't know how much, and depending on the person, how much, uh, how long is that RNA or DNA going to stick around? How much is your body going to make? How much of an uptake did you have? So we don't really know what that. Yeah. That is how many how many to, spikes where and oh, and over what time period you would think those would kind of be important. Spread. Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's going to spread throughout the body. Yeah, um, distribution. They told us how much RNA they had put in the shots, but they didn't actually. We don't have the data on how much spike protein was actually circulating after the time course immediately after the shot. Like, what does it look like on day one and day two and day five and day seven and day ten? But the, you know, the work that Patterson and others have shown is that it's sticking around a long time. And that probably has a role in those people who still continue to have symptoms, whether from the vaccine or the uh, native infection. Native infection. I mean, you would think this would be a kind of uh, important thing to study before you release it on people, much less mandate it. But that's that's where well, we are. That's why, that, that's why vaccines often take so long to get right. You know, we've made lots of mistakes with vaccines in the past, and we've had to tweak them and change them and, and stuff because you're trying to stimulate, basically mimic a disease. Um, and so that's why we took off Rotashield. They tried. It didn't work. They stopped. And they, they stopped it. It took them five to six years to get a new product out. Um, and rotavirus is much more deadly to kids than COVID vaccine is worldwide mm. or, or COVID-19 um, infection is worldwide. And so... I, I think that to see our regulatory bodies work properly in the 1999 and then to see it, ignore it and justify it for children who aren't really at risk. I, I'm mind boggled by this. It, it truly is. It, it's uh, it's something I have to pinch myself to think is, is even happening at this point. Could you explain briefly why the myocarditis seems to be more of a problem in young males, if in general the platelet issue and the clotting seems to be yeah. more of an issue across the board, but but really the the older you get, um, why why like what does that have to do with anything? So I think I think that we're still trying to figure that out. I think the honest thing is to say we we don't really know, but I sure. but if you look at testosterone, so our highest risk for kids is basically when they're coming into puberty. 
um, and in that sort of that young adolescent stage is where we're seeing some of the largest signal for myocarditis. Well, that's when their testosterone is really ramping up. Testosterone is procoagulant and pro-inflammatory. Um, so I think that that's why we're seeing it predominantly in, in young males. The other thing is, is like I said, it's so we're selecting it for people who put a lot of effort on their heart. So a lot of these teenage athletes, one of the ones I saw who came into the hospital, he, he was uh, two days after his second shot. He got it not because he wanted to, but because he wanted to play football. He was this, he was a great physical specimen. And this kid was, uh, I mean, he had like 2% body fat, great shape. Um, but he went to practice and he couldn't run two days after his shot. And he goes, something's wrong. Right? Mm. And he, he's used to hurting, right? He, he's used to pushing his body. He's used to being short of breath. He, he goes, this is something different. So he came in, we hooked him up to monitors and his, his heart rate was less than 30. And I think he had inflamed his sinus node. So he had sinus node dysfunction or the pacemaker of the heart. Um, so I think that, um, it, it really seems like, especially with the myocarditis, is a much bigger issue in the men because of testosterone, I believe. I also see this in, in bodybuilders. Um, and I'm not oh. sure, I don't have all the data whether they were, you know, are they taking other supplements that are increasing their testosterone levels or are they on sure. um, some anabolic steroids? I don't know. But I will tell you, when I see a bodybuilder and I have to treat him um, for COVID, it's a much harder go. It, you would think these guys are in great shape. They'll have no problems. No, they're hard. They, they're, they're sick, and it takes a lot of work to get them, get them through it. Um, but I think that what, with the kids and the elite athletes, if you're sitting around on your couch not doing something, you can have quite a diminished heart function, and you're not going to know it. Let's say your heart function, we, call, we, we talk about how much the, the heart ejects. So let's say it's 75%. That's really good. An ejection fraction is really good at 75%. Let's say you go down to 50, 55, that's still normal, but it's lower than you would, you would normally be. If you're just sitting on a couch not doing anything, that won't bother you to be an ejection fraction of 55. But if you're an elite athlete and you're really pushing yourself, you'll realize you lose a couple of seconds off your 100 time. You lose some, you, there's something and you're now suddenly your heart is hurting and you're short of breath. So I think that a lot of the elite athletes are showing us and, it, and I think they're just the tip of the iceberg. If we were to do studies on all the kids and do echoes before and after their shot, that's what to me would be a very interesting study is anyone who's getting this vaccine. Let's do an echocardiogram to see what their heart looks like before and after their second shot to, uh, within the next couple of weeks. Let's study them. That, and, that's and, how and you remind me, remind questions. me, wasn't there a study in, in um, uh, was it Circular Circulation Journal that and then they, you know, yanked it or something that that seemed to do what you're talking about look at all, all those markers and it seemed to show that the risk was much greater than any of the myocarditis studies are making it out to be yeah i i think that the other thing that they've showed in a, a recent abstract in the american heart association at their national meeting they show that when they look at um they do a couple of pro-inflammatory studies it's called the pulse p-u-l-s and when they looked at people after the, um, and this is to say, what's your risk of having a heart attack? And when they looked at people after they had had the vaccine, their pulse scores stayed elevated for months. And, and this is showing a pro-inflammatory response um, that the body has for quite some time, even if you're not coming forward and complaining to your doctor about this or that. So I, 
I think this is a new technology. It hasn't been um, it because of the politicization of of um, you know, if you say anything against the vaccine, you're labeled as an anti-vaxxer. I'm a physician scientist who I, I don't mind vaccines, I, but I I, tr- I need to trust that our regulatory system is at work like it was in Rotashield. Nope. Um, nope. I, I, I literally, a, a year ago when this came out, 11 months ago when it started, whatever, around then when this started coming out, I thought, oh, okay, so this is it. So they're going to, you know, put it on hold and study it. And it was like, Okay, fine. It's a pandemic, so you don't want to put it on the hold, but you'll study it. No, no. There was no curiosity, much less care. And that's when I started to realize there was something wrong here. This ain't your grandfather's shot, and this ain't your grandfather's FDA, and they just don't give a darn. But I want our audience to take away the biggest takeaway I'm I'm hearing from you, that as bad as 1 in 2,500 or whatever that is, is it relative to the threshold that we usually pull something – but I think the broader concern is that this is the tip of the iceberg based on what we're seeing. Like you're saying, you wouldn't necessarily see it right away. And in the people that we would, we are seeing that. I want to, in, in much, 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 much greater numbers, I want to put a finer point on what you said and get your take on this. Uh, so just indulge me here for a couple moments to, to introduce some news to our audience. Uh, you're aware of the fact that I'm working on with some of the whistleblowers. You yourself, you were a flight surgeon in the Air Force. So I'm working with these flight surgeons that are whistleblowers with Thomas Renz, and they've released a bunch of DMED data. And to take our discussion to the next level, where are you going? If there are problems with elevated pulse rates, uh, heart inflammation, circulatory issues, well, okay, you got elite, elite athletes. What's the other place where you have an awful lot of young males doing a lot of physical activity? Well, that's the military. Um, bit from basic training to ranger training to airborne school. I mean, all the stuff they're going to be doing. And, you know, these whistleblowers came forward and they told me there's dozens of other doctors that cooperate. They just don't want to lose their jobs. Um, that they were seeing a deluge of people dropping out of training of all the stuff you're talking about, and now it's reflected in the data. So before the government uh, the last couple of days has been uh, cha- playing with the 2016 <laughs> to 2020 baseline, but what they saw was a 2,181% increase in hypertension you know, they have the numbers with uh, thrombocytopenia, they have with pericarditis, myocarditis, um, and all of that. But the hypertension numbers, what do you, what do you have to say about that? Well, I, I think that probably, you know, the kidney is the organ that, that really maintains your blood pressure. And I would, um, I would like to see if we're having microclots within the microvasculature of the kidney uh, that, is, that is causing the kidney to... How would you test that? that I, um, well... Well, a lot of times how you say test that as postmortem, um, but we can look at uh, there are other ways to do that um, um, uh, in terms of looking at at total kidney function. Um, but a lot of this is now that we're seeing these problems, right? We have to go back and be honest about this and say yes. this is something that the vaccine makers need to say, wow, boy, we've got a real problem here. And I agree with you. The military is very interesting because the rangers, the the special forces; those guys are elite athletes. I, I took care of these when I was um, uh, when I was uh, stationed in Iraq during my two tours. These guys, and talk about pushing themselves; they'll push themselves past elite athletes. They will push themselves like if they are swimming, uh, they're trained to swim until they pass out, and they trust their buddies to pull them out of the pool. They will they will push oh boy. themselves oh that boy. far. 
Dr. So Kirk, Le- the- Lieutenant Colonel, you don't know what you just stepped on. I, I got to get your your take on this. Um, I haven't said this to my audience yet, but I have news here I'll share with you. This was from September 24th. Military.com. Army identifies Green Beret who died during dive training in Reservoir. And they, they named this Special Forces guy from Fort Campbell um, who is Staff Sergeant Paul Lincoln Olmstead, 29-year-old. He was died during a water training exercise at Joe Swing Park Reservoir by the base. Um, and what they say is that uh, he was training as part of a grueling 10-day school, um, yada, yada, where they spend time underwater. And then they say Olmstead went underwater during a swim and did not resurface. His body was recovered. Wednesday, and the incident is under investigation. I was told by people very much in the know that that absolutely is not true. He was not underwater. It was a surface swim that I'm sure you're very familiar with. It was not one of the underwater, you know, uh, trainings. What do they call that? The drown proofing or some of the other things yeah. they do. It was a surface swim. He got out of the pool. He was out of the pool, complained about chest pain, and then coded. What do you think yeah. of that? Well, this is. Well, this is what we're seeing in the elite athletes, right? Like I said, is if you have scarring of your myocardium and then you really stress your heart, your chance of having a lethal or a, 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 an event and an, an abnormal heart rhythm that will lead to your death is increased. So that's when we, if we see abnormal heart rhythms, one of the reasons we want to see what the heart looks like to see if there's any scar. Just like you, if you were having epilepsy, you'd want to see if there's any scars or stroke areas in your brain that would be a foci for that. So these are all things that that are, hmm, it should it should garner everybody's curiosity. And I think a lot of people are curious, but they're afraid to speak up because if you speak up, they will try to crush you and take your medical license away. See, that's what I don't understand. There's one thing if it wasn't studied long-term and short-term, we just don't see anything. All right, so presumably it's okay, even though we don't normally roll that way. But when you see this much, this is what keeps me up at night. It's kind of what you're you're alluding to here. It's bad enough, the safety signal. But you say, all right, you know, at the end of the day, maybe it won't be tons of people. Um, but and, and those people certainly need help. But my concern is, isn't all of this painting a picture of some magnitude of a much, much larger cohort of latent uh, heart inflammation and and then in the circulatory system, microclotting that we might not see now, but who's yeah. to say that's not all a ticking time bomb? So my, my question to you is the government clearly has no interest in doing this, but if you were running a, um, uh, a study group, how would you mm-hmm. embark – on testing for broader latent inflammation and microclotting? So I would start now and I would do um, large-scale MRI. And I would also do lab studies before and after. I'd be looking at D-dimers and other sources of inflammation. I would want to know what the heart looked like, what the body looked like. I'd, I'd be doing like whole body um, uh, uh, MRIs to see what's the baseline of this person. And then if you're going to do the vaccine, then you look at what that what that looks like. I would. um, uh, And that to me is if if you like if people like this vaccine and they still like, let's say like is not the right word. Let's say you were behind this vaccine. 
what I would think needs to happen is you need to pause it and you need to take it back into phase two, phase three trials um, and now do some before and after and really see what happens when you push these people. Because it, a vaccine shouldn't be harming our strongest and best. Right? They're the ones who should be able to handle anything, but, but it looks like there is a signal for that. So then we need to sort of go back and go, okay, wow, there's a signal. Should we throw this thing away completely or do we just need to take it back and study it and get more information? To me, the answer is more information, not push ahead faster and harder to get more people getting getting these shots in the midst of a pandemic. That's an entire other discussion of why are you mass vaccinating in the midst of a pandemic? That That is well known to drive um, variants. Sure. Um, no, I mean, that's that's definitely a big a big issue. We're almost out of time here. I want to get your take on just, uh, you know, a couple of quick things here. Um, you were into treatment, obviously, treatment for COVID. Uh, you were helping out, and I see you got into some trouble in, in Hawaii. Is that correct, in the, the Hawaiian Medical Board? Um, yeah, it could you Could you talk I, about that a little bit? Sure. I was having a discussion with the chief of the uh, the public health department of Maui County, who's an accomplished researcher in um, vaccination, chemoprophylaxis and malaria, dengue fever. And he and I were having a discussion over, wow, okay, there's a vaccine coming out. What, what does it look like the risks may be? What are the benefits? What are the alternatives? Okay, alternatives, could we treat COVID? What about the studies for hydroxychloroquine and zinc and azithromycin out of Korea? What about these new studies from ivermectin that we're seeing from around the world? What about the, you know, what about, so we were just having this discussion. That discussion was too much for local authorities. And so they put both of our medical licenses under investigation for simply Stop having it. a scientific discussion. Wait, wait, you're saying it wasn't even that you prescribed it. I didn't know that. No, I they, got the they, impression. Well, Dr. Dr. Pang never has prescribed anything. He just got it. He got his for having a discussion of could what could early treatment work. The data on early treatment is now pretty clear. Um, and also it becomes, you know, part of our early treatment is vitamin D. Right? That's the newest study out of Israel. Pretty yep. compelling. It's a major factor. Um, the Harvey, Dr. Harvey Rich from Yale has done all the really the heavy lifting on hydroxychloroquine, pretty convincing. The latest study out of ivermectin where they looked at um, pro chemoprophylaxis um, uh, that, that, came out, that came out of a, a letter to uh, the JAMA network. Um, this is all per, pretty um, convincing stuff. And so um, we were just having a discussion of it looks like this could potentially help. And I'm not going to sit there when someone can't breathe and say, well, I'm going to wait for a randomized controlled trial before I treat you. No, what I'm going to do is, like all doctors do, is they go, what does this look like? Well, there's clotting, inflammation, and respiratory distress. So I can treat clotting, inflammation, and respiratory distress. And if I have it early enough, I have certain antiviral medications um, that are out there. So um, that's what we do. Um, very quickly, they're, they're really upset about us using off-label medicines. We do this all the time in medicine. We're uh, federally approved to do this by the 1994 FDA Modernization Act. They encourage it, even if the FDA disagrees with it. They said that because this is how you find new yep. treatments. Dr. Pang used doxycycline off-label to find the treatment for malaria. This is using an acne antibiotic and found that it had very great effect for prophylaxis and treatment of malaria. 
This is how you go. I mean, forward. isn't a lot of what cardiology off label? Oh, especially for kids, eighty percent of our stuff that we use in, <laughs> in in kids pediatrics is off label because once a medication is approved by the FDA, which ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are, it's hard to get them reapproved for something else because that requires a whole new study. So sure. the safety and the efficacy has already been verified. So we know what the dosing is. We know what the exactly. side effects are. So that's profile. So why not so try it? A, and, and and that was meant just for the manufacturer. The manufacturer can't yeah. market it off-label. But a, a, a doctor, I mean, we've been doing this forever, and it drives me nuts even in the places where we're trying to get built legislation in the states. There's Some of them are so modest and like, no, it needs to be like you're going to yank the license of the pharmacist if they start practicing medicine. It, it means it's, they're the ones violating the law. You need to uh, reaffirm current law it's, it's just i'm glad you brought that up um i want to just go back i forgot a very important point i'd be remiss if we didn't discuss this you're a flight surgeon um we are yeah. pushing this mandating this knowing these sudden you know dropping incidents whether it's uh, neurological with the vertigo whether it's uh cardiovascular and we're certainly seeing this they're pushing it on on pilots now you know you talked about yanking someone out of a pool but, you know, well, I guess usually there is a co-pilot, but maybe not all, always in the military. You have the military mandate, the yeah. FAA, uh, you know, the, the civilian mandate as well. As a flight surgeon, what do you say about that? And how does that jive with our historic practice of regulating experimental medications for, uh, for, for pilots? Well, yeah, I think the work by Lieutenant Colonel uh, Teresa Long, she's right in the midst of this. You know, she's watching and she has real concern. She goes, I, I can't, I can't, um, from what I'm seeing, I don't think it's safe to send these pilots up, especially in single pilot aircraft. Um, I, I, I think, and these are people are low risk. These people aren't obese. Their pilots are in like some of the best shape that you'd ever find someone in. So that puts their risk of COVID very, very low. So why would you use this vaccine in that cohort when like the great Barrington declaration that uh, Koldorf, Bhattacharya and uh, Gupta were involved in? They said, guys, we're doing this wrong. Use the vaccine for the highest risk, not the lowest risk. So and, there were, and so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the yep. fallout from that. Um, I, you know, but what happened to Dr. Teresa Long? She's in an enormous amount of persecution for her trying to be a whistleblower, you know? So, yeah, man, this is this is crazy. And we're out of time here. You know, there's obviously a whole story I wanted to get to with uh, a Navy pilot flying into the water. Um, there's a lot of discussion around that, again, from some of our sources. And, you know, that might be uh, one example of what we're talking about pending more information. Um, final question. Please restore my faith in humanity. Um, when you speak at least privately to people. Okay, mm -hmm. privately to doctors. I mean, what I'm seeing from most doctors that I run across is not a gray area. I'm seeing literally the equivalent of a heart surgeon saying, I'm going to roll someone over on their front and open them up from the back. Like th their entire approach to what they're approving and okay using with COVID and okay shoving and even threatening and kicking people out of their practice, juxtaposed to what they won't do to treat it, to me is. I'm not sure if if which one is uh, is a more of a severe ailment, an ailment of a lack of heart or lack of brain, but it makes no sense to me. Um, it, it literally makes no sense. It, I, in your private discussions, do a lot of them? 
I, I feel better if they're like, I don't want to lose my job, but they know this is bull. Or, or, or are they all bought yeah. into it? So there's, I think there are three groups. Most of these doctors aren't getting any extra money for anything they do. So they're not affected by the big pharma. They're not affected by totalitarianism. They're just trying to... to uh, they are now largely corporate, not independent doctors. So there are policies that come down, and this is what you do. Um, you are no longer free to speak as you would like to be able to speak. So there are very many. When I'm in the doctor's lounge, there are a lot of people who look around, and they want to see who's around, and then they'll start speaking freely. So there's a group of people who are bold and courageous and just say, you can take my license. I'm going to speak. There are a group of doctors, um, and that's probably, I would say, maybe 20 to 30 you know, quite a few of them will speak out. Um, then, then you have another percentage who know something's wrong, and their eyes continue to get more opened each day that the boosters aren't working. You're not accepting natural immunity. You're against every type of uh, normal, uh, normal basic treatment. You're silencing doctors. There are those people whose eyes are opening more and more and more. And then there are those who just, just they have, um, they just watch. They get most of their information from the medical societies and um, the mainstream media. And they are, um, they're not curious. Um, I don't know what that is because to me, I went into medicine because I was curious. I'm curious about how the body works. I got my PhD because I was curious. And there is a real loss for a certain percentage of doctors who've lost their curiosity. And I don't know the explanation for that. Wow, that's that's depressing. Um, is there any place people could go to? I get emails of people with with heart damage, pericarditis. Is there anyone dealing with this? People people really feel they don't have they, they don't get help. Yeah, I I think that I think I'm directing a lot of people to Bruce Patterson at this point because I think he's trying to deal with these issues and mm. um, and I think in the future we'll probably come up with a more uh, organized system. But right now we're just seeing the problems, and so we're trying to figure out. And remember, a lot of us are losing our primary ability to practice medicine. So, right, Peter McCullough, he lost his place at Baylor, then went to our private thing. So a lot of people were, were, were trying to figure out how we manage normal, what would have been normal medical practice in this new world, that if we start speaking up about, wow, I have a whole clinic for vaccine injured uh i don't think i want you to do that you know know, so (laughs) i think that's so sad so so you can't even even if you don't even give an opinion say like take this shot but i'm just i just want to treat the people injured no well who's to say anyone's injured nobody gets injured from this oh okay so then that's going to put us two years behind in the detection diagnosis and formulation of treatment it is so disgusting i mean like i i tell people 540 million doses have been distributed in the United States alone. Even if just 1 million, that's 0.2, one-fifth of 1% cause problems, that's a million doses. Okay, there's a lot of people that need help, yeah. and I think we have a sneaking suspicion yeah. that the, the universe might be larger than that. So, you yeah. know, again, yeah. Dr. Kirk Millone, a pediatric cardiologist, a soldier, former lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, pastor, humanitarian. Thank you so much for your work, and please come back again.
Well, thank you for giving us an outlet to speak. Many of us really want to speak, but we can't find a place that will uh, will share just our normal concerns for humanity and trying to help people. So thank you for helping us get the word out that doctors, there are doctors who really believe that we should do no harm and do everything we can help do to help our patients. Perfect. Well, God bless and keep saving lives. And there you have it, folks. Dr. Kirk Milhone, um, you know, just terrific, terrific man. L- listen to a guy like this, just such a big heart, no pun intended. All his humanitarian work, you know, military veteran, uh, looks like he got into the military later in life. So much there. Why wouldn't you want to bring in a voice like that? If this was just about the truth and trying to help people, nothing nefarious. Why? Why? You know this is there. In other words, cancer, they're going to they're gonna fight to the bitter end to, to block any problem with that. No, it cures cancer. There's lower rates of cancer. By the way, that's what they did with the DMED data. You know, they made all of 2021 now. They, they kept 2021 the same, but they remade the baselines from the previous five years to make it look like somehow those years were even higher, which wouldn't make any sense for 50 million reasons. I'm working on that for next week we'll discuss that but the point is this we already know everyone admits they understand the mechanism of action the government admits it um why why would you not follow up on this why and you demonize people trying to help trying to get to the bottom of this and again the the elite athletes and what we're seeing in the military and we now have a lot of testimony and data I've seen it firsthand. I've heard it firsthand. Um, And this is going to come out. They will not be able to block this. That raises very serious questions as to is what we are seeing, forget about VAERS. VAERS is certainly underreported because even the ones that do come in, I I can't tell you how many times I've heard from from doctors at hospitals, ERs, like it clearly was myocarditis right after the same age demographic, right after the shots, wasn't put down, never traced back to the vax. But even even if it is, how many have circulatory issues? How many have inflammation that's there? And it's just going to take a longer period of time to come to the forefront. That is a very legitimate hypothesis enough. I don't mean like scientific hypothesis, but enough to be concerned to warrant study to eliminate that as a possibility, right? We are not animal trials. We're supposed to be humans. Okay, we don't do this. The the onus is upon them to rule that out. And then when you see the safety signal and you not just don't follow up, but stifle and censor anyone's ability to embark on a study. Remember, anyone who wants to embark on a study um, with with inflammatory markers, whatever, you know, circulatory, D-dimers, and various things, uh, they're going to get demonized, and it's not going to get published in a high-impact journal. It just won't, no matter how properly it's done, no matter how um, you know, to the book it's done, no matter how important the findings are, it just doesn't matter. You know it will not get published. Unnatural selection in the academic world. That's what we're facing. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual fight. We're going to keep giving you the best information on all aspects of this. Let me know your questions, concerns. If you have questions for, <coughs> for Dr. Milhone, 
as we do with all our guests, I could forward it to them. You can email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com, danielharwitz at startmail.com if you want encrypted uh, non-spy mail. Uh, hope you guys enjoy the weekend. Let's keep this town hall going. Let's keep conversing. Let's keep sharing knowledge. Knowledge is power. Truth is power. Until next week, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.